We wish to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land we are recording on in Perth, Western Australia. The Wadjuk people of the Noongar Nation. We wish to acknowledge their continuing culture. And pay our respects to the Elders past, present and emerging. In a world where the lives of everyday people are preordained by the script that must be followed, a ragtag team of scamps dare to speak their highly unqualified opinions publicly. They dare to go off script. Unscripted, the film show. You're listening to Unscripted, the film show. You can't handle the truth. Man, I'm walking here. I'm walking here. Here's Johnny. You're going to need a bigger boat. I'll have what she's having. Want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? Um, as an adult is as an adult. how you um, started that show. Um, as an adult, you should remember sunscreen always. Um, and a child and, and and just everybody. You're listening to Unscripted. I don't know. I was trying because she, she started the show Sorry, like as I an adult. Sorry, I spoke. He gave me a move. He gave me a face. It's my fault. Or did you? He gave you, me a face. You feel like you were dobbing him in. You gave me a face. He I'm gave already, me a face. I'm already what's, oversensitive what's, about every word that comes out of my mouth. What's, what's going on I um I, I spoke just as we were starting the show, which is my fault. Very unprofessional of me. because we're unscripted. Exactly. We are unscripted. And I was talking about my, my son burn that I got over the weekend, a severe yeah. one, uh, which... And you bumped into Arda. I bumped into Arda. Who's, who's left her um, microphone sock here. That's literally oh, the only reason dear. I added that in, just in case she was listening. In, in case you're listening on your drive home, Arda, I have your sock. <laughs> your microphone <laughs> your sock. sock. We'll keep it safe for you. But yes, yeah, so I decided uh, not to wear sunscreen on my legs because I wanted to get a tan. Now, I'm a very pale person. I'm actually more pale than the most pale person you've probably ever seen. So just imagine yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, so if sat, you've ever seen the movie Powder yeah. from like the late 90s, early 2000s, that's Cecilia, but yeah. she's got eyebrows. To, to, be, to be fair though, like you're so pale, you should actually reflect sunlight so you shouldn't get burnt. <laughs> Deflect yeah. off me. Uh, but yeah, I thought I'd get a tan and that's really naughty and uh, now I have severe sunburn on my legs which has caused uh, swelling, inflammation and edema which is fluid in my legs. So uh, basically my public service announcement is please do wear sunscreen and protect yourself from wear the, from sunscreen. The sun. it, we live in Australia. It's very dangerous out there, and I think yeah, just cover up and be careful, people. Um, Come to Australia. You might accidentally get so burnt that you have fluid in your legs. Exactly, and it's it's just one of those. I'm look, walking around. I look like I've got big cankles and you, pregnant lady feet and all sorts of bits and pieces but that's that's my public service announcement you were walking in rather delicately <laughs> i can't believe you went to work today even like seriously it looks very very painful it's very tight very tight mm. but um hopefully it should go down in the next seven to ten days according to the doctor uh-huh. so Excellent. well um that's our public service announcement here on unscripted the film show it has nothing to do with, with movies what but the- i did mention i did say wear sunscreen you did and uh if you don't know where that's from it is from the romeo and juliet um album Oh, I'm trying Lumen. to recall. I'm trying to recall that. But Everybody's free. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't know that's what they say, though. Wear sunscreen. Well, I mean, Is that the line? Well, there was a mix, like the, like a remix that went out oh. that included like the wear sunscreen ad and uh, song and like gotcha. the, the guy who was in the choir and Romeo and that's Juliet. That's a great soundtrack. Showing my age. Great soundtrack. <laughs> I think just it so is one of the best. We should say the Australian way of it, doing it though. Slip, slop, slap. Slip, slop, slap. You yeah. slip, slip on a shirt, slap on, slop on some sunscreen and slap on a hat. Slap Slide on, on some sh- shades oh, and good. seek shade. <laughs> slide, slide on some sunnies and seek shade. There's more of them. The, yeah. <laughs> the irony about the visit is <laughs> I had a big hat on. <laughs> you had a big hat. So wait, you had a big just hat wasn't big and, enough. And so your legs were the only thing that were exposed out. So you need a bigger hat. I was even you wearing a jumper because the wind was cold. <laughs> Sorry, there you go. I, but, I, um, I always wear uh, my sunglasses. When I, I can't stand being outside without my sunglasses on. And I went and got my eyes tested last week and my uh, op 
optometrist. Um, he just he said like, uh, yo, yeah, your eyes good, but they are showing some uh, signs of like you know, aging because of the the sun. And he's got like, you got to wear a hat. I'm, like, I'm not a hat person. <laughs> Shouldn't you be like aging? Because yes, I am aging. Yeah, yeah, yeah. there is that too. There is that too. Yeah, but, but it's like apparently it's like sun damage, like as oh. you age and stuff. And in Australia, it is it is like yeah, you know, we're, we're not like in England. No. England, you can go out, you go out like lace fair, no glasses, no hat, you're fine. But here. Go outside. Still can, you can still, for our English listeners, you still can get burnt in England if you are outside in the blazing hot mm. sun of 24 degrees for over five hours. Yes. <laughs> did, you I'm just get making... did you get burnt in England? No, you didn't. No, no I'm <laughs> just making it up, but it was just a very specific description of... I don't know. I'm sure people in England get burnt. Um, my friend Erin well, lives there and she's very white and I m- must confirm with her if she is ever burnt. I remember seeing Lee Evans and, and he was saying like, you know, Australians have got a very different relationship to the sun than the English people mm-hmm. do because like here we're, we're like very cautious generally uh, and we'll yeah. like wear hats and wear sunscreen and do that sort of stuff. Whereas the English, like as soon as that sun comes out behind a, cra- uh, behind a cloud, they're just like stripping off going, burn me! <laughs> yeah, we run away and they chase it. Yeah. That's that's the difference, isn't it? It is very very different. But I, I do, you you haven't had the um, the worst kind of injury that I've heard of. I mean, I'm sure lots of people have very worse injuries uh, over the, the holiday period. Mm. But today uh, I was like, uh, just uh, I'm uh, at work and uh, my other colleague, we're just a skeleton staff, just the two of us. Um, and uh, my boss texted me uh, today on our like thing saying, "Oh, could you just check the uh, uh, the missed calls?" I'm like, "Well, dude, I check the missed calls as soon as they happen, but mm. uh, it's all good." And he came back and said, uh, "Excellent, thank you very much, and happy New Year." And then I texted back, "Happy New Year to you too. I hope you have a relaxing break." And he said, "No, I've broken three ribs." And Ooh, I, I, what? I, he said, I, "I've got three uh, three breaks, actually four. I've got three broken ribs and a broken wrist, and none of them were relaxing." So oh, he uh, fell off his bike, spectacularly fell off his bike. So Like a motorbike or a bicycle? I think it was just a bicycle bike. Yeah. Right, uh, so that's now very I'm, spectacular. See, now I'm looking for songs to play at the end of the show and I'm like, do I play the Baz Luhrmann Everybody's Free to Wear Sunscreen song or do I play Bicycle, Bicycle? <laughs> <laughs> You'll I all have to wait and see what bicycle. we pick. <laughs> I don't think he wants to pl- play his, with his bicycle. <laughs> no, I think he anyway. brings through his bicycle away. Fuck <laughs> <Stop> you, bike. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but no, it's, uh, yeah, it's uh, not... not uh, not a great start of the year for him, so uh, my, my, my thoughts are going out to him and I hope he gets well soon. Yes, so do I. How, mm. you know, that's horrible. Mm. Mm. That's a bit rubbish. Yeah. Uh, but we've seen heaps of films, like between us, not obviously all together, but uh, I, I saw this week uh, Operation Fortune, Ruse de Guerre, and I also saw Megan. Megan. I've seen Emily and how it sounds like just, they're going well, around at school and <laughs> I've seen Emily. Uh, well, I saw Matilda twice. This week. Hey, nice. I've also seen the Fablemen, so we've got heaps to talk about. We do. Um, now, have you guys seen uh, the Matilda musical live no. or anything? I have seen the Matilda I'm musical. I'm going to say, okay, so I'm kicking myself that I didn't go to see it when it was here because it's been here in Perth, mm. yeah? Um, so Matilda was my favourite book growing up um, and then, of course, the Danny DeVito, um, Rhea Perlman mm. You know, from from 1996. I know this because I watched it this week as well. <laughs> um, so I loved that show. I loved that movie. Excuse me. And then, of course, um, the musical came out, and everyone was banging on about it. But I have an issue with singing children. <laughs> I find it really obnoxious. <laughs> You don't like talking at animals. <laughs> you don't like singing children. <laughs> yeah, you really so... hate seeing baby animals. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I know that remake of Lion King when little baby Simba was singing mm-hmm. uh, just just was the ruining worst. me. The worst. Um, so I didn't see it because, uh, Lewis, you said back uh, before we went to England you should go and see Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Yes. So I went and I hated it because there were singing children. Um, and then I went and saw The Lion King here um, in, on the stage and I liked most of it apart from the children singing. And so I don't know what is with that. she hates children. I think that's what it comes no, down to. If Bryce was singing, I'd just be like, oh, that's a 
adorable. Or like children that I know, but for some reason there's something about children on stage that I feel is they really obnoxious. They do look pretentious. Yes. Like yeah. the way they're... They think they're really, really good. And well, they probably are good. Just jelly, I mean, you? they are. You're just jelly. You're I think old. we're just jealous, Rachel, because like, we want to be dream. that yeah. talented. Yeah. Yeah. Probably. So, and also it, all the, everything was written by Tim Minchin and I was like, ah, not a big Tim Minchin fan. I find him really arrogant. And I'm like, I don't... He's very pretentious. He's like that. Yeah. He yeah. is very pretentious. I'm yeah. sorry. Um, <laughs> he's extremely talented though. Um, so... I have over the last few years, because we've read, we've now read Charlie and the Chocolate Factory three times, um, and I'm a huge Royal, Royal Dahl fan, I was hoping to get Bryce into Matilda. I've opened that book multiple times and he just gets bored like a page in and I'm like, oh, and then I've tried to get him to sit down and watch the Danny DeVito Matilda and he's like, nah. So finally, because there was singing involved, Bryce sat down and watched Matilda the musical on Netflix and I sat down and watched it with him as well and cried at the end because I'm like, I mean, it was very good. That's the first thing. And the second thing was I finally get to, I I finally got to share Matilda with him, which (laughs) for me was really pivotal growing up and I had a bit of a, a bit of a, um, an epiphany this week that I'm pretty sure that Roald Dahl is what sparked my interest in writing because I've been writing since primary school basically and he was always my favourite and I'm just like, and I was getting all emotional like, oh, my God, finally get to share this with Bryce. So, yeah, I got really weird about it. But um, it's um, it's about two hours long I think and it's got uh, Emma Thompson playing um, Trunchbull the principal, the really... Have you guys seen the Danny DeVito version? Many, many. I couldn't even tell you how many times I've seen it. Okay, good. Lewis? No, I have not seen the Danny DeVito version. And probably haven't read the book either. No, I have seen the stage play though. Right. Oh, well, this is true. I saw the the musical. um, I think it might have been the first musical we saw in New York. Oh, really? And we were like... Why, why, why is my wine glass in a sippy cup? <laughs> so why, why is my wine in a sippy cup? It was like you get – if you go to England and you mm-hmm. go to West End, you'll go and you get a glass of wine. Mm-hmm. But then you go to America and you get a plastic cup with a straw in it. Mm-hmm. It's weird. It's very weird. Yeah. Uh, I didn't order any alcohol when I went on Broadway so or, or England, so I didn't notice the difference. How can you enjoy theatre without alcohol? <laughs> well, I tell you what, I think for Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, I should have been, I should have pre-gamed for that one. Um, anyway, so it's got wonderful songs, beautiful acting. Um, it's just, it's really wonderful. And if you've seen the musical on stage, it's a great opportunity to see it on mm. Netflix. Um, they've got one new song which wasn't in the musical. I think they probably did cut a couple of songs. I'm not 100% sure. Um, they did offer, um, so there was a bit of a delay getting it made because of COVID and all that sort of stuff. And they did offer, um, I think it's Pam Harris who played the original um, Trunchbull. I can't remember her name. I'm not very good with names. Um, but she was Aunt Marge mm. in uh, Harry Potter in the Prisoner of Azkaban. Anyway, she played the original Trunchbull and they said, do you want to come in for a cameo? And I think there was conflict with uh, a stage play she was doing. And they also offered um, the young girl who's no longer a young girl who played Matilda um, in the 96 version a, a bit of a cameo and she said, I'm not not flying all the way to England and back just for a day's work. Yeah. Um, so I'm sure she didn't say it like that. <laughs> But, um, yeah, so they weren't in it. And it's almost, I kind of like that it's they weren't because this becomes the new version. Uh, mm. And um, so, yeah, we watched it two days in a row because Bryce loved it so much. And then on one of the days he found some music on his um, YouTube kids thingy and was at the back playing his drums along with the music. <laughs> so, I'm like, yeah, it's, it's, there's some really, really great, great music and some really good um like callbacks to the book if you're really into the book or callbacks to some of the stuff in the DeVito 
thing. I've got, like for anyone who's got IMDb, you can look all this stuff up yourself, but um, I read that um, the girl who plays Matilda in the 96 version, Danny DeVito and um, Rhea Perlman, basically took care of her during that time because her mother was sick and dying of cancer and actually died of cancer while she was filming Matilda. Wow. So they spent a lot of time with her and, like, had her staying at their house and and all that stuff sort of stuff because they're like amazing people and I only learnt this week that he was the director of that movie mm. not just the narrator but the director as well and acted in it of course so um, yeah um, Dane DeVito is an amazing like if you watch if I just think of always sunny and oh, yeah. I was just gonna say yeah. yeah yeah I've not seen that but I have heard that he he loves. Doing that show, you t- you can tell that he loves oh, doing yeah. that show, and it's it's interesting. You just wouldn't expect him to, to be in a show like that, but he just does the role so well. <laughs> it's it's really good. I mean, uh, yeah, he's just had a massive career, and I'm just so mm. glad it's still going. Yeah, yep. yeah, oh, yeah. I love him to bits. Uh, if you've never seen Twins, I mean, you know, where have you been? Where have you been? And people? ruthless people. Nobody seems to remember this movie apart from me. You definitely won't because you're too young. Ruthless people. I feel like have this you is seen Ruth? I've probably referenced it before because it was one of my favourite movies growing up. It probably shouldn't have been because it was definitely way mm. too adult for me, like every other show and movie that I watched. Um, but I want to say I can't. Re- I can't remember though. Oh, do you know why? I always remember the cover from working at Blockbuster. I remember walking past the DVD cover of this multiple times. Please tell me Danny DeVito's in it because yeah, yeah, Danny I was DeVito say, and Bette Midler. Yeah, because yeah. I was having a mini heart attack, thinking, yeah. "Oh my gosh, I've got it wrong." No, no, but no, basically, yeah. he's trying. He's a horrible husband trying to get um, Bette Midler, his wife, knocked off, and the people who are supposed to knock her off don't do it properly and end up taking her in as a hostage. But then they become really good friends with her, um, and yeah. That's that's kind of how the story is. I know it's a ridiculous eighties movie. What are you going to do? But it's got Judge Reinhold in it as well. Like just perfect. I had a dream about Danny DeVito not long ago. I thought you were going to say Judge Reinhold. I was going to no. say who dreams about Judge. I Reinhold? think I, was, I think I had just been binging Always Sunny, and then I just had a dream, and Danny DeVito was in it. Well, Weird. I, I'm assuming he was nice. Yeah, he, I'm pretty sure it was a dream. <laughs> <laughs> No, Danny DeVito genuinely <laughs> turned up in your real life. He was wearing a suit and he had a briefcase and he was with somebody else. Anyway. <laughs> it's all coming back to It's me. all coming back. Anyway, we'll be back in a moment. You're listening to Unscripted, the film show. So, what's everybody else been up to? Oh, you know, watching movies. Well, that's good. Doing our job. Doing our job <laughs> for the people. What are you, where's my money? Where's my money? Get paid for doing jobs. That's yeah, a public service thing. We do uh, it yeah. to deliver it to the jobs, people. So yeah. It's it's not just a community service uh, announcement about sun cream, but it's a community service about movies and what there it's is to see. It's a hard job, but somebody's got to do it. Yeah, poor us. <laughs> <laughs> we should probably kick off with the movie. I think what so. What does everybody want to hear about first? I kind of want to hear about Megan. Megan. Yeah, and I'm interested I'm, in hearing I'm, about Megan. I'm interested to see, do they say Megan or Megan? Because, Ooh. you know, lots of people in America say Megan. And, and Megan I f- feel like Megan, Megan is a biatch name and Megan is like a nice person's name. Yeah. So based on the fact that this is a horror movie about an um, AI doll that tries to kill people, probably going to go with Megan. Megan. Well, it's, um, I think it's... Uh, Megan or Megan, I'm not sure. To be honest, I didn't pay that much attention to the... Uh, <laughs> oh, today. must have been but good then. It's M3GAN, so I don't know how you actually pronounce that. M3GAN. Because um, what what it actually... Uh, it's like a cool licence plate. Mm, yeah. It, it, does, it does sound like a, a cool licence plate. Um, so, yeah, what the, uh, the M3GAM stands for is Model 3 Generative... Generative... Oh, my goodness. Are Model you going to say genitals? Generative Android, gen, like generation. Model three, oh, generative Android. Yep. So, um, but the uh, yeah, this this film is is really good. Like I I I loved it. It's it's kind of interesting because the film when it was first being made, it was being made to be an R rated film, mm-hmm. and then they realised when they were watching the R rated cut, hang on a tick. If we change a few things, we can get a PG-13 uh, version of this. PG-13. Yeah, yeah. 
And the so the film is uh, so I could take Bryce. Yeah, well, you <laughs> parental could. guidance would pr- probably say no. Yeah, but. yeah. Uh, common sense probably uh, would also say no, but uh, you're the mum. Up to you. <laughs> um, but yeah, so they originally it was R-rated film. They took out some things. It's now PG thirteen, and the first trailer got real traction on TikTok, mm-hmm. and they were just like, "Hang on a tick." Our market for this is actually teenagers, so there's a lot of humour in this uh, in this movie as well as it being like a, a th- horror-y kind of thriller. It's not really like a a scary, like gory horror kind of movie. But I know she dances at one point. I found that horrific in the trailer. Yeah, and uh, I, I was I was wondering like when I was watching the, the film and watched the trailer. How have they brought Megan to life? Like, is it CG? Is mm-hmm. it a person in a suit? Uh, and I found out it's actually a uh, a 12-year-old girl called Amy Donald uh, who is the person in, in a suit and is wearing the mask and stuff. And so, and she's a ballerina, hence the weird movements and stuff. Because oh. the, um, the movements uh, are what makes the character so creepy. Um not the face. The, well, the, 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 <laughs> or the killing. Yeah. Or the fact that it's a doll that's trying to kill people. That's not the creepy bit. It's we've seen ballet We've movements. seen dolls trying to kill people before. <laughs> but Chucky, like, his movements aren't as creepy as what uh, what these dolls are. They're less Me- realistic, Megan. I think, in a way, aren't they, yeah. Chucky? Whereas this looks a little bit more... But she's got, also yeah. going to look robotic as well. Yeah. Even though she looks like a, a girl... Uh, it is still a robot or an yeah. android, and it's yeah, it's really, it's a really cool film. And the premise of it, like, um, so the film, uh, the film starts, and Violet McGraw is um, sorry, Violet McGraw is playing Katie, and she's going to uh, the mountains to go skiing with her mum and dad, <laughs> uh, but you know things go wrong, and she ends up uh, losing both of her parents. Um, so she goes to live with her uh, her aunt uh, Gemma, played by Alison Williams, and. Gemma is a like a career person, and her career is working in the toy industry. Mm-hmm. And so she's created these like uh, Android toys that connect to your iPhone, connect to your your iPad or iPhone, and you can like feed them, and they interact with you and do all that kind of stuff. But she knows that the the you know the real money to be made in toys is through like making a life lifelike <clears throat> human companion. Mm-hmm. And so she's working on Megan, and uh, like to the <laughs> to the uh, chagrin of Ronnie Chang, who plays David, her boss. Ronnie Chang. Yep. Geez, he's really getting up there. Yeah. Isn't he? It was it was weird seeing him in a, in a film like this, but uh, he he he's the boss, and he just wants another iteration of this little toy fluffy android thing. Mm-hmm. But she's trying to get this uh, Megan project off the ground, and when um, she has you know. To deal with having a, a, a daughter that's been you know, thrust upon her, um, kind of <coughs> uses Megan as a you know, way to you know, keep her occupied and do the parenting things that she should really be doing. Um, but it's, it's just a really interesting like idea. Like when I first saw the trailer, I thought, "Is this going to be a child's play thing? Is it a Terminator thing? Is this a, like an extended episode of Black Mirror?" And it is all these things. <laughs> like the whole thing about if you give artificial intelligence to a um, to a uh, you know uh, artificial being, uh, how are they going to deal with like things that you know? Because as human beings, we kind of have a moral moral compass. Most mm-hmm. of us do, but do uh, you know computers have that same sort of moral compass? Or if your directive is uh, look after this primary person in your life, does that mean that if they perceive anything as a threat, they're going to take that thing out? So yeah, I feel like you need to be really specific mm. with your instructions. Yes. Mm. Yeah, and so it's, but the film—it's not a film where you're going to go in there like a Terminator, where it's like he's going to be just killing everyone. There's a—it's a very low body count for a film, but it's good because it's kind of like one of those slow burn kind of things. Um, but yeah, it's but the, for the film to work, you need. Megan to come across as realistic and they've done a great job of doing that um getting a, a ballet dancer who, who understands body movement and those kind of things to play the part is great I mean if you've seen that that uh you know 
uh, bit of the movie where she you know, is running down a hallway. Yeah, and, and then stops and has a dance. Yeah, I mean, that is so creepy. It, it was so really creepy. creepy. Um, we saw um, Violent Night, I think, is when we saw the trailer for this and Chris and I were like laughing our asses <laughs> off watching the trailer <laughs> and like... But laughing our asses off and also going, nope, I'm not <laughs> seeing that. No, 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 it's just fine. Like if you can, if you can handle like Terminator, yeah, you can handle this easy. It's just, um, yeah, I was, I was so impressed by this film and um, just the. Uh, the way it was made and the the things that made you think about and the um, yeah I was, I was like hoping at the end of it that there was going to be like another scene at the end so that you know that there's going to be more of it I hope there will be more of this oh really um, but why why you just hate children don't no, you no no I'm I was just surprised because um yeah you started the as to, when you started talking about the movie you said something that gave me the impression um oh you went i wasn't paying attention and i thought so oh megan, no he fell asleep no, but no, i no. think it was now i realize it's just how megan or megan was pronounced exactly no i didn't listen yes. i didn't like you know catch on the pronunciation because mm-hmm. that wasn't a it, it really wasn't important. as important no. as yeah the plot it wasn't an important <laughs> thing to me it was uh yeah, I just thought the the pl- plot was really good. I thought the creation of the um, and it's just the, the, knowing that there are people out there who have like you know dolls, like mm. get you know people have like married dolls and things like that. Um, to see something like this kind of brought to life on the screen, it's kind of yeah, it's it's very freaky, but. Uh, yeah, but no, it's great, and I, I think if you if you like horror but you don't like really gory, horrific horror, this is fantastic. Um, yeah, and, but it's, it's like and it's old school horror comedy, and Blumhouse really, you know, they know how to how to make these kind of things. So yeah, hundred percent, I am going to give uh, Megan. What do I give? What do I give four. Uh, oh, four um, paper cutlery things. Oh, guillotines. Guillotines. Four guillotines. <laughs> oh, oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. well, now I need to find out what happened there. Uh, we'll be back in a moment. You're listening to Unscripted, the film show. So other movies were viewed this week, um, not by myself. Um, I actually went to the WA Museum in Perth. Very and went through the. I know. If if you're into Alice in Wonderland, um, that that is where you should be going uh, because they have like an exhibition, and they've got um, old like my favourite. Disney cartoon was the Alice in Wonderland from 1951 and they've got um, animation cells in there from that movie um, and drawings that became the animation in there, uh, lots of old posters. Um, but because they've made stuff about Alice in Wonderland for many, many years, there's also bits of like a 19... 19- 10 version of Alice in Wonderland and kind of all the iterations over the years. I couldn't look at everything because I went with two children. Oh, yes. (laughs) But um, they had some really cool stuff, including like an interactive, um, like you take a photo of yourself and you put it um, on this screen and then you're running around like a soldier painting the roses red. So that was fun. Um, And then there was a room where they had um, like a light show where it's a Mad Hatter's party and all the lights and everything come onto this table and you can see all the food and ants running around and oh. then they've got, like, stuff all over the walls as well. It's very cool. Um, so I, I advise if you are on school holidays and want something interesting to do, um, I would do that. Place to be. Especially if you're a fan of the movie, mm. which, which I am. It's just to see the animation cells. So cool. It's Very amazing cool. how See, far and that's animation. Disney related. You could go to that and then talk, talk about it on Disney Down well, Under. We, did, we right. did actually want. We did actually want to go to that. We just uh, just couldn't get the time. I don't know oh. why. I don't know why. Just uh, time got away from us. So, so the cheapest way to do it is to get a membership, um, and then you pay for the membership, and then you get a discount on the um, on the entrance. But that's if you want to go into this in in the actual museum itself. But anyway, just giving you some tips. Uh, let's get back to movies. Shall we tackle The Fablemans? Let's do that, yes. We'll do The Fablemans only because this was actually a release from last week, uh, which Lewis got to see part of this film and then I seen the full film, but Lewis had to duck out for some other 
commitments. So uh, we're speaking about it this week. So released last week, but it is inspired, obviously, by the childhood of the Oscar-winning filmmaker Steven Spielberg. So it's kind of part memoir, part ode to cinema in Mm. general as well. But you've got Spielberg's on-screen avatar, uh, Sammy Fableman, played by Gabriel LaBelle as a teen, and then Matteo Zorin Francis de Ford um, as a child. And he's the son of a pianist, uh, Mitzi, played by Michelle Williams, and an engineer played by Paul Dano in this film. And uh, there's a lot of this, which is actually inspired by a lot of truth there. His his mum was a pianist. His dad was an engineer uh, in real life. But Mitzi and Bert take Sammy to see the greatest show on earth. And this unlocks Sammy's passion for cinema. So he begins using his dad's 8mm camera to, you know, film things. He recreates this epic train derailment and really just creates short films using his sisters and friends in the neighbourhood. And he's got just such a knack for this as well. And, yeah, he continues to do that. And it's really about him continuing that passion because his father's very kind of science-minded and, you know, Mm. you need to do something that's going to get you a job in the future. And his mother's very much like, no, you need to do what you love to do. So it's also a bit of a coming-of-age story as well as we, you know, see Sammy battle, you know, family issues. There's a lot going on there, his friends, um, school, life, love, all of those things as he continues to grow up as well. And, yeah, aside from a lot of the name changes, uh, I did a lot of research, but the film is quite historically accurate. Mm. Uh, It's not rose-tinted in any way either. It really delves into the flaws of parenthood and some of the family issues he had growing up. But, um, yeah, it's interesting. You know, Spielberg is really kind of renowned and beloved for having – you know, created these films like Jaws, E.T., Saving Private Ryan, films that are real action and, Mm. you know, whatnot. But he really strips back this story uh, and it really just goes back to his deep love of cinema. Mm. And it's all captured on a 35mm uh, as well. But it's interesting. I've read some interviews with Spielberg, how he mentioned he, he was worried about doing this film for two reasons. One was he didn't want to come across narcissistic or egotistical about a film about him. And he didn't want to do the film before his parents' deaths because he was concerned about their portrayal on screen. Yes, because I know he had a lot of issues with his father and uh, if... If you do a bit of research like you have on Spielberg, there's a lot of films um, pre uh, a certain time period where there's an absent father or the child has issues with the father. But, I mean, you look at E.T., the father is not there, for Mm. instance, Um, and and that is a reoccurring theme in a lot of his uh, earlier movies because he had issues with his dad. Um, Does that come across in in The Fableman? It it doesn't. It doesn't, it doesn't because... What I had read, and I'm not sure how accurate this was, is that for a really long time Spielberg thought that his father was to blame for leaving them. But he later learned in life that it was actually his mother's um, affair with his father's best friend. Oh. um, Which is actually what happened. So he didn't know a lot of this. But this actually comes to light in this story. So I really enjoyed this. I didn't think at all it was pretentious or you know, egotistical. I think, it. you know, it's semi-autobiographical. You know, it's inspired by, you know, semi-fictionalised moments as well as true events. So, you know, but there is some truth there from what what I've been able to to uncover. But I really liked this film. I I thought it was really the ode to cinema for me, the love of cinema, and that's what I really was interested in. And there's some real wonderful moments in this film that I enjoyed. So I am going to score this a four, four, oh, my God, car headlights. Four car headlights. I, uh, I loved what I saw of this film. Uh, I only saw about an hour and a half of it. There was a two-hour, two-and-a-half-hour-plus mm-hmm. movie because uh, I had to, to run off and pick up Cat and go to a, uh, a high tea because that's the way I roll. Um, <laughs> 
But uh, yeah, no, I thought it was great. I saw the uh, the it was just before they got to California mm-hmm. was the uh, bit I saw up to. But uh, I was really surprised by um, Seth Rogen's uh, character Benny uh, Lowy, who plays the best friend mm-hmm. uh, to Paul Dano's Bert Fableman, and I didn't even realize that that was Seth Rogen when he first rocked up. Really, it took me a little while to to realize that Seth Rogen. Yeah. Um, but I thought he played a really great character. It was really interesting because you know you, you have the well, I don't know if I should, should mention that. There, there's like uh, his character is really complex because mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of mixed emotions going on within him, uh, and I don't know if he comes back into the film or not, so I can't really comment on that. But uh, the, what I saw made me really want to see more of it, and I'm really glad it's out now, so I can mm-hmm. actually go and finish it. <laughs> Excellent. There we go. But I'm not going to score it because I only saw, <laughs> saw that uh, half of it. So it would be, uh, yeah, pointless to score at this, this stage. Oh, well. Uh, and but, I believe you would have seen that at uh, Luna, yeah? Yes. Well, that's convenient because we've got a sponsor for Luna. Did you know that Fremantle has its very own art house cinema? You'll find Luna on Essex, midway along Essex Street in the heart of Fremantle, screening an incredible variety of niche, foreign language and quality mainstream films in comfortable and intimate surrounds. It feels more like your own home movie theatre rather than a cinema. Catch up with friends for a pre-show drink in the fully licensed Alfresco area or enjoy a glass of wine and a cheese platter during the movie. Check out what's on along with details of forthcoming films, festivals and added value events at lunapalace.com.au. You're listening to Unscripted, the film show. Uh, so we do have more a movie here to talk about. So another film, it's actually out today. Oh, so yeah. Um, it, it did have uh, some uh, screenings um, uh, last weekend. So we actually went and saw a screening uh, last weekend. And it's a new Guy Ritchie film called Operation Fortune, Rue de Guerre. And oh, has this got Audrey Plaza in it? It does have Audrey Plaza in it, yes. That's all I know about it because I, I just got excited because who doesn't love Audrey Plaza? People who are wrong. <laughs> <laughs> that um, is the correct answer, Lewis. Yeah. Correct answer. Uh, so, yeah, Jason Statham plays Orson Fortune uh, and he's a geezer. He's geezer? A guy, he's, a, he's a guy who goes and does his, uh, does his thing. Uh, he's got very particular requirements, so I, I love your accent, man. <laughs> it's like I'm actually an Aussie trying to be a, a scouser. Well, that's Jason Statham's accent, down pat. I think he's actually a Londoner, <laughs> but anyway. Um, so yeah, Jason Statham, uh, he's he's. Uh, like, because he's always so like you know down to earth, like mm. kind of character, and uh, his um, character in this uh, movie, like he's a uh, like a hired hitman. He kind of you know go go and steal the thing. I feel like of. he's the same role in every movie. Yeah, oh, of course yeah. he is. He doesn't know how to act. <laughs> a bit of a, a bit of a spy thing. Um, but he uh, like has to fly on a private jet, uh, and on that private jet, you've got to have this particular wine that's from a certain year. Mm. They never mention the actual wine. They just say the year the wine is made. So um, I, I don't know if there, there is actually a wine they're referring to or if they just like, well, oh, if we say 2002, that's fine. We'll just go with that. Um, so he is enlisted to uh, find this uh, this thing. Uh, you know, basically it's, it's one of those, you know, search for the uh, doodad that's <laughs> going to be doing doodad. something. Yeah, The doodad that could potentially destroy the world. Yeah, doodad, exactly. Right? That, yeah. I'm sorry, and what is this movie called? Good Fortune? It's called Operation Fortune. Sorry, yeah. Rude you, you, Gear. Uh, rude Gear? No, Ruse. <laughs> is that like talking about... Ruse, R-U-S-E-D-G-U-E-R-E. <laughs> Yeah, so I think I, I, I think, I think, I think there's the first problem. Yeah, I think the, the problem is the Americans will see that, think it'll, will think it's a, a film that's subtitled and won't go and see it. That is the problem, I think. <laughs> but so anyway, they, they put together a team to go and find this thing. It's called The Handle okay. is what they're, what they're trying to find. Uh, and the team consists of Aubrey Plaza, uh, Sarah Fidel. Uh, their, their, their handler is... Uh, Kerry Ewells, um, and uh, also uh, got Bugsy Malone playing J.J. Davis. Um, 
and they enlist the help of uh, Danny Francisco, played by Josh Harnett, and he's like this big actor person <laughs> who Hugh Grant's uh, gangster character, uh, Greg Simmons, is a real big fan of. So they know if they get this actor involved, then they'll be able to you know get into um, uh, into the, the the compound and find the information they need, and then get the handle, <laughs> and that's all. The, the film it's a very very simplistic plot. Like there's nothing in this film that is going to be too taxing. Uh, on anyone's mind to figure out what's going on, but it is a hell of a lot of fun. It is just really good fun. I mean, yeah, Jathan Statham is one of our few action heroes that's still around these days, uh, and the Guy Ritchie knows how to direct action. Mm-hmm. He knows how to direct Jason Statham. Like, if anyone does, it's him. He, mm. he created him, so he should be able to direct <laughs> this guy. Um, but, yeah, I, I love this film. I just thought it was, it was good fun. Um, it was kind of like just switch your brain off, mm-hmm. uh, go along with the ride. Lots of uh, f- lots of shooting guns, lots of e- explosions. <laughs> I love I love Hugh Grant playing that uh, that London kind of gangstery kind mm-hmm. of character he plays now. I think it's fantastic. He's played the nice guy for, for far too long, but this and he's not really a nice guy in real life. Yeah, probably not. This, I don't know. This, he didn't used to be. <laughs> I like him. <laughs> but this guy Greg Simmons is like a you know just a lovable gangster. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure he kills people, but but, you know, oh, you got to love him. You'd, you'd have a drink with him. You would. You would. Um, but, yeah, I, I just think it's great. Um, I, I would uh, recommend if you're uh, looking for some action uh, to go out and check out uh, Operation Fortune. Uh, and it seems to me like it's going to be the, – the, he wants to make it a franchise kind of thing. Oh. Um, because you could just get different, you know, you could keep this team together or you could get different people uh, to, like, play against him in the next one. Mm. So, um, yeah, it was good fun. Uh, I'm really happy I went and saw it on the weekend um, and I am going to give this one three and a half handles. Three and a half handles. Yeah. Whoa, whoa. Sounds good. We'll be back. You're listening to Unscripted, the film show so I've talked about Matilda. Lewis has talked about Megan, and you're going to talk about Emily. Emily, Emily. It's all movies about ladies. Ladies. It's a ladies' day, but um, we all know that we all know Emily Bronte. Well, surely we should. She is the uh, writer of Wuthering Heights, uh, and this film, Emily, is the directorial debut from uh, actor Frances O'Connor. She is from Perth, uh, and this is set in the 19th century, uh, but it really is kind of a story about Emily Bronte who was referred to as the strange one in the village. Her oh. sisters were far more popular than she was of the, the Bronte siblings. Uh, and Emily in this film is played by Emma McKay, who we all know from Sex, Sex Education. Who yeah. gets confused all the time with Ma- um, uh, Margot Robbie. That's right. Yeah. So the film is kind of part history, part speculation. It really is the director's and, you know, writer's depiction of um, Bronte and, you know, whether or not she actually experienced some of the th- these things we don't know but yeah she was referred to in this particular film so I'm talking about the film not in, mm, in, in real life yep. she was yeah very much the strange sister she had um you know a good relationship with her brother uh in the film uh Branwell played by Finn Whitehead and she was yeah and he was a bit of a black sheep of the family too and Emily really wants to she's not really sure what she wants to do with her life you know in those days it was very much do I become a teacher do I you know nanny Uh, but her sisters are obviously doing you know wonderful things with their writing as well and she loses her mother at a very young age as well so it really goes into also a a romance between her uh and a a a man um who i need to find the name off i do apologize uh but yeah it's one of and you know her opioid uh addiction as well uh is that william waitman yes william waitman played by oliver jackson cohen yes Thank you. And, you know, in the film there is this romance between them. Whether or not that was a real thing that happened, I don't know. So it is one of those films where you kind of get pulled into wondering what is fact versus fiction. And I think with this one you do have to just remember we probably don't know a lot about, Mm. uh, you know, 
her as a whole. We know that she, you know, released one novel. Uh, she did lose her mother at a young age, but whether or not she had this romance or this opioid addiction or this, you know, close relationship with her brother, I, I don't know. But yeah, it really just follows her over the course of a few years as these certain events play out. Her her brother's shipped off because he's, you know, the black sheep of the family. She watches her sister's, you know, success rise. She has this romance and heartbreak as well. You know, she's constantly yearning for that love of her mother and then you know what does she want to do with her life and then when she does finally sit down to write this novel so I know I'm not selling this film very well but it actually was a really nice film to watch and there was some really heartbreaking moments in this film too particularly with that heartbreak that she experiences and just being um, you know, she lost a lot of her family around her to, mm. to sickness as well. And it's just amazing. We always go back in these historical, you know, and people did die very... Because she had brothers, didn't she? She did. She had yeah. a lot of different siblings who over the course of years unfortunately died from, you know, certain illnesses, um, you know, certain colds and flus and, yeah. and things that they do as well. So, yeah, it is a real kind of slow burn film. There's not a lot of action. It is a story where you do really have to put the idea of, you know, how truthful is this out of your mind. But I think it's a really nice, how do I put this? It's a nice portrait of Emily Bronte and Mm. and that kind of forgotten sister. And, and, you know, Wuthering Heights is such a popular novel today. And, you know, and I I wonder if, you know, I've actually never read the novel. No, or Mm. seen the movie or anything. Just know the song really well. Yeah. So I would be really interested in in reading the novel and kind of comparing it to this film to see if there's anything that I can draw from the two to to go, hey, is this what she did? Did she experience that and then write that? It's funny that in her life, her sisters were seen as the more mm-hmm. successful um, writers, I guess. And Bronte did two b- books that I've never heard of, Angus Gray and The Tenant of Wildfell Hall. And Charlotte Bronte uh, or Bronte wrote Jane Eyre. Mm-hmm. I don't know if she wrote other stuff. She probably did. And, of course, Jane Eyre is a really famous novel. Mm-hmm. But when you think about the longevity, um, I think we all know Jane Eyre mm-hmm. and we all know Wuthering Heights. Yeah. Equally, um, really. There's yeah. No... Sorry, Anne. Don't know who you are. <laughs> so, yeah. No, I, I see what you're saying. And again, yeah, um, Charlotte Bronte, I can only think of Jane Eyre as one. But I think, yeah, Wuthering Heights is probably one of the most popular. I mean, the thing it. is, Kate Bush, did she sing a song about Jane Eyre? No, no she, she did didn't. Not. She did so not. So there's, there's your answer there. But I, I think for me, Frances O'Connor, writer-director who hails from Perth, I think it's such a a really hard thing to do. So I really admire her story because it is an original screenplay. So I really do admire the fact that she's been able to take someone who I think she probably admires and create something. And um, I'm sure she did a lot of research and then has just obviously imagined things that happened Mm -hmm. because that's the whole point of a historical fiction. Yeah. and I think it's it's hard when you do it for a movie because people will ask how accurate is mm-hmm. this. But it's a whole it's a whole genre. Yeah. Um, you know, the, some of the assi- the assignments that I did in my last unit um, were historical fiction, and you do do a lot of research just to, in the small amount of like stuff that I did. I did a mass load of research, mm-hmm. so you know she'd have to do research into stupid stuff like you know. Um, how was the weather in that period of time yeah. and the, does it, how boggy are the marshes? Yeah. I don't know. But, yeah. like, there's lots of things that we just don't think about and so be interesting to find out how historically accurate mm-hmm. that is but still... Um, it certainly doesn't... It sounds like an element of yeah. of history rather than fact. Yeah, and it's, it certainly doesn't change my mind about the film because I think it was beautifully executed and mm. I think, you know, Frances O'Connor is... I, I'm really excited to see what she does next because I think she's really taken this and, and done something with it that's really fabulous. So, so I'm surprised. Did you say this is her first... Um, this is her, her directorial, directorial debut. debut. Um, her own original screenplay. 
Yeah. So yeah, I just think she's she's done a marvelous job. Um, and yeah, it's not too overly contrived or too outlandish that you would think, oh, that wouldn't have happened. Like she doesn't try and create mm. too much there. It, it's very authentic and and nuanced. So um, I really enjoyed this film, and I'm going to score it a four. Four Rolling Hills. Oh, lovely. And here's a little uh, trivia for you for Frances O'Connor. Her father is a nuclear physicist and her mother is a pianist. Oh, wow. That's a bit like the Fableman. I know. I was like, <laughs> that's interesting. Um, so there you go. Uh, another film that you can, you can see right now, if you've got Disney+, Plus, uh, is uh, a film called See How They Run. And this is a very interesting film because um, the writer and uh, di- the writer and director of the film, uh, I don't know if it was a writer and director or one or the other, one of them, uh, they wanted to make a film about the Agatha Christie play, The Mousetrap. Now, this The Mousetrap is a play uh, in London's West End that has been running for decades and decades and decades and decades and decades. Is this the one that became the very entertaining Nathan Lane movie? No, I don't think so. Mouse Hunt? No, no, no okay. No. Ma- uh, ma- I remember that movie. The Mouse Trap is an Agatha Christie, uh, like, you know, who done it? Ah. So somebody dies, and uh, you know, the, the play is all about who done it. Um, and the the one of the conceits of the play is at the end of the play, the cast tells you that you are now an accomplice, and you're not allowed to uh, reveal who done it to anyone. And if people want to find out who done it, they've got to go and see the play. That's right. Yeah. 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 Hence why there's never been a movie made about it because they want people to keep on going and seeing the play. Well, there you go. So instead of making a play about Mousetrap, mm-hmm. sorry, instead of making a movie about the, the Mousetrap, he's making a movie about the play being turned into a movie because there were attempts to turn the, the, the play into a movie like back in the day when they first started mm-hmm. you know, its run. Um, but Agatha Christie made it uh, you know, very uh, clear that you cannot do, make a movie about this play until it has finished and then, then you, you can. can make the movie. Yeah. Um, so in this uh, particular uh, film, you've got Adrian Brody playing Leo Kopernik, who is the director of said uh, mm-hmm. Mousetrap movie. And he goes to, I think it's the 100th performance of Mousetrap. And gets... Does it star Richard Attenborough? Uh, it does star Richard Attenborough, yes. yes. Well, it doesn't star Richard Attenborough. The it real stars, one, because he's dead. Yeah, it stars somebody playing uh, yes, Richard, Richard Attenborough, Attenborough because Attenborough. Richard Attenborough was in the original cast of The Mousetrap. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so uh, Leo Kopernik, uh, played by Adrian Brody, gets killed in the theatre where The Mousetrap is being played. Uh-huh. And enter, stage left, uh, Inspector Stoppard, played by Sam Rockwell, mm-hmm. and Constable Stalker, played by Cersei Ronan. Mm-hmm. And they are the the two, uh, some might say, bumbling detectives who are uh, enlisted to solve the mystery of who killed Leo Kopernik. It just the just the photo alone makes them look like stump, bumbling idiots. It, it does, really? and this this film like uh, is is amazing fun. But there's actually some factual stuff in there in the film about like you know the the, the people at the time who were in the castle, yeah, or that kind of thing, um, and. It's just it's just really good like way of making a movie about the mousetrap without making a movie about the mousetrap. Yeah, that's really clever. Um, I think it will make people interested in actually seeing the the the, the play. And if you're in Perth, <laughs> then you're lucky because I believe the mousetrap is actually coming to Perth at some point this year. Probably going to be touring around Australia. So I'm assuming yeah. in other parts of Australia you might be able to go and see it as well. But yeah, it is, uh, as I said, now it is on um, Disney Plus. See how they run. And I will give it um, four and a half. I'm just popping to the dentists. Ooh. I am 100% going to watch this because I did watch the trailer for it and um, I was like, yeah, Sam Rockwell, I'm in. It That's does look very entertaining. All mm. you have to do for me, apparently, Sam Rockwell. Anyway. Um, Just jump, don't jump to any conclusions. Okay. Yeah. Oh, mm, oh, now okay. I'm going to jump to conclusions. <laughs> All right. Well, if you're listening live uh, on Radio Fremantle, stay tuned for Quizzy Crate Digging. Um, and I'm going to finish off with Baz Luhrmann. Everybody's free to wear sunscreen. <laughs> so if you're listening to our podcast, go and find it. If you don't know what on earth I'm talking about, um, just search it out. This podcast has been brought to you by the Gentlemen of Pop Culture.